Scripture reading tonight is from 1 John, uh, 1 John chapter 4. The whole context runs from 4-7 down through about 5-5, but I, I want to call your attention to uh, verses 7 through 12. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God loves in us and his love is made complete in us. May God bless the reading and preaching of his word tonight. Now, if you will, please turn to the end of the book of Psalms. I want to kind of review uh, some things that uh, have happened in our life together as a congregation. Um, They may seem kind of rather commonplace, but um, they are a regular feature of our life together. This morning, uh, we gathered for worship, as we always do. Uh, we heard announcements, and uh, they, they weren't announcements about uh, the stock market or what's happening somewhere in the world. They were announcements that had to do with our life together as a congregation. We sang together. Uh, we raised our voices at the same time to sing the hymns that Daryl had chosen for us, and uh, Some of the time we sing in harmony, and so our different voices have a way of blending together as one. Uh, We bowed our heads and we prayed together. Frank led us to the throne of God this morning, and at the end of the service, Stuart did the same thing. But we lifted up our hearts to God about things that are matters of concern to us. We We partook of the one loaf and the one cup that is the Lord's Supper. We may have multiple pieces of the bread and we may have multiple cups, but the spiritual reality is that there is only one bread and there is only one cup. And we shared it. And it is an expression of our unity. We took up a collection and the collection uh, will be used to support our work together. We listen to God's word together. We participate in worship as individuals. But we do it together, and it is maybe the most sacred part of our life together. But there are some other occasions that I would would call your attention to as we begin tonight. Uh, One of them happened last December. Uh, We were graciously invited to the Eels Open House, where we could sit together and enjoy the delicious food, but where we could also enjoy each other. We could talk and and be together and, and laugh together. And uh, we greatly appreciate their hospitality and the opportunity that is afforded us to be together and to enjoy each other's company. Potluck comes on the fourth Sunday of the month, and that's not just folks having dinner together, is it? To an outsider, it might look terribly disorganized, but we all bring food to share, and we put it on a common table, 
and everybody is welcome to partake of what they want. We might think, well, yeah, that's potluck, but there is something significant, and Scripture makes it significant, in the sharing of food in a meal and sharing it together as we do. And we share the work of cleaning up afterwards. Some of us do more sharing than others, but we do the work together. We have monthly dinners and devotions for our teens and monthly lunches for our widows. And again, there are opportunities to come together, opportunities to share a meal, to laugh together, to pray together. And uh, you never want to sit at one of those as an observer. You want to be a participant. But it's it's clear that, that we enjoy being together. Uh, we enjoy each other's company and the fellowship that those opportunities provide. Uh, Sharon and I, had, I don't think, had had the young people to our house before. And uh, only three of them and Kristen showed up. But we had a great time. It was really a great evening of fellowship. And and we've, we've come to appreciate them very much. Now, we, we might look at that list and we might think, okay, so what? What's the big deal? Well, there is a big deal in all of those things. Because in all of those things, we're sharing life together as Christ's church. And each of these is an expression of our love for one another, an expression of the bond that we share with one another as Christians in this place. And each of these is an expression of our sharing the Christian life. And each of these is an expression of our unity as the body of Christ in this place. You can go through the Bible and you can find a great many instructions and teachings about our unity, about love for one another, as we heard in our reading, and about fellowship. And tonight I want us to look at a passage that maybe you never thought of in this context, but it very much is about this context. It's very much about our relationship with each other and the fellowship that we share passage I want us to share tonight is from Psalm 133. Psalm 133. Psalm 133 is a song of ascents. At the great feast, Israelites from the north and the south, the east and the west, would come to Jerusalem uh, to gather before the tabernacle and later before the temple to celebrate Passover or the Feast of, of uh, First Fruits, the other holidays and feasts of the year. They came together for fellowship. They came together to worship God. And what we could see if we could stand on a high point or if we could somehow fly over the land of Israel at this time is that a group of pilgrims, a group of worshipers from one village would walk down the road from their village until they came to a fork in the road and and down one the other fork would come the members of another village and they would join together and and this would just keep going like like tributaries of a river and uh, they the crowd would would gradually increase until everyone got to Jerusalem they were all heading there for the same thing they were all going for the same purpose and as they walked along they sang as they walked along, they sang songs of worship and praise. And Psalm 133 is one of those songs. So let's listen to Psalm 133. 
How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life evermore. Now, this might seem like a, a strange scene to us, but it would be very easy to visualize uh, verse 1. Uh, all about Jerusalem, on all of the hills around Jerusalem, around the city, we could see tents and fires as pilgrims from distant places lived side by side for the week or the days of the festival. Together they would go and, and they would um, offer sacrifices. They would bring the tithes that God had commanded them to bring. So here is a scene of God's people gathered before him. And the psalmist considers all of that and he tells us that this is good. And more than that, it is pleasant. It is good and it is pleasant when brothers live together in unity. And there is a unity here, even though they came from the four corners of the land of Israel. And the unity is that they were a people who shared the same blood. They were blood relatives. They were all children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They shared the same heritage of the promises that God made to their father Abraham. They lived together under the same covenant that God had given to them through Moses at Mount Sinai. And while they numbered in the thousands, they worshipped one God. Their hearts were devoted to the God who had revealed himself in the burning bush to Moses. And so for them to be one, for them to be together is a joyful thing. It is pleasurable. It's a delight, the psalmist tells us. It is a great, great good to have God's people come together to be with one another and to worship God and to offer Him praise. And isn't that what we experience together in our worship and in our fellowship meals? Isn't it what we experience when we gather during the summer at the academy for plea worship? We, we want to make sure that, that these new Christians who or these new people who are just coming to the academy have a place where a place at the academy, but also a place in our life together. And that's really important to us that they have a share. Um, but in our prayers and our, our concern for our sick, uh, for uh, our concerns for our elderly, um, we're people who share the same blood. We share the blood of Christ. And like it or not, we're family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We share the same heritage in the Lord. Every one of us have the same hope of heaven. We live under the same covenant that was ratified by Jesus' blood. We were all baptized by one spirit into one body. We share in the one body and the one spirit. We were called together in one hope. We believe in one Lord and one faith, one baptism one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all, in all. In all. Ephesians chapter 4. And so 
Even today, centuries after David's song, it is good and it is pleasant to be together and to enjoy each other's company and encouragement and to join our hearts together in worship. The psalmist captures the goodness and the pleasantness of brethren living in unity two ways. He says the goodness and pleasantness of brethren being together and being united is like precious oil poured on the head. Have you ever been to church and had somebody pour oil on your head? Well, that's not a custom of ours, is it? But the custom in Israel was for people to pour olive oil on their heads as part of the preparations for a feast. Because olive oil in, in Israel society was a sign of joy. It was a sign of delight. It was a sign of celebration. But here, David's not just talking about olive oil in, in a general sort of way, but he's talking about holy oil, about the oil that was poured on Aaron's beard, on the heads of his sons as they were consecrated to God in his service. We're told that the oil poured lavishly, that it ran down the beard, that it ran down onto his collar. And all of it was a sign of blessing. It was a sign of favor. And what David is saying in the psalm is that unity and love and fellowship are the same thing. They are a blessing to God's people when we come together before him. They are a sign that we belong to God and they are reasons for celebration and joy. The goodness and the pleasantness of unity among brothers and sisters is also, the writer says, like the dew of Mount Hermon. Um, I don't know if you have your Bible maps. You could check the geography. Mount Hermon uh, was the, is the tallest peak in the mountains in the land of Israel. And in Bible times, Mount Hermon's great, great quantity of dew was proverbial. There was something that could be counted on. There were great quantities of it. And here the psalmist is saying that unity among God's people is like the dew of Mount Hermon, but instead of falling on Mount Hermon, it falls on Mount Zion. And on Jerusalem, our psalmist declares, because that is where God gives blessings, including the blessing of eternal life. Just as dew refreshes and sustains and promotes growth of plants in a dry, arid land, so all of God's people are blessed. We are refreshed. We are sustained when we live together in unity, in love, and in fellowship with one another. The people of God flourish and bloom when they are watered by the dew of unity, love, and fellowship. Now, we may not think of oil dripping down our beard or heavy morning dew as a way of describing the joy of our fellowship and unity, but didn't we just sing something like that, something related to that? Haven't we found that it is sweet, it is heavenly, when those who love the Lord and one another's peace delight and so fulfill the word? The images are different, the words are different for sure, but the idea is much the same, that God blesses our unity, God blesses our fellowship, he blesses our love when we come together. 
Christians living in unity and love and fellowship has sometimes in the Lord's church sort of received short shift. It's sort of been seen in some places as an expendable thing. It's something that we can have if we want to and have if and don't have if we don't want to. But when we read this psalm, when we read 1 John 4, when we read Ephesians 4 and other passages in the New Testament, it is the fulfillment of the Word of God. It is the fulfillment of a commandment of God. The psalmist declares the truth that when brothers live together in unity is good and pleasant. But Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3 teaches us that practicing or enjoying unity is not an option because he commands us to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. The, the Spirit gives unity to the church, but it's on each of us through our love and our fellowship to create the unity that God wants us to have. Turn to the letter to the Romans and look at Paul's prayer for them in Romans chapter 15, verse 5 and 6. Romans 15, verse 5 and 6. This is his prayer for the Roman churches that are badly divided. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus. So that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he asked God for. That's what he hoped God would bless the churches of Rome with. But he also had a commandment for them, a command that would bring them to the kind of unity that he has just prayed for. And we find that in verse 7. Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. You know, in the course of this life, there are lots of places where we experience rejection. The pretty girl says no. The star of the football team says no. We don't get the job. We don't get the house. Friends walk away from us. But you know what? Jesus Christ has never rejected any of us. Even when we've fallen and sinned, even when we've disobeyed, he still welcomes us back. And Paul tells the Romans that the way to the love and the unity is to accept each other, to welcome each other. Jesus, just hours from the cross, prayed. He prayed that in what was about to happen, he would glorify God. And he prayed for the disciples who were with him, asking that God would keep them and sanctify them and protect them. And finally, Jesus prayed for those who would become Christians through the teaching and the preaching of those disciples. And what was Jesus' concern for those disciples who would come later? Well, his betrayer has done his work and the wheels are already in motion. The cross is built. It's ready and waiting. The time had come. And Jesus' prayer is found in John chapter 17. Turn to John 17 and let's read verse 20 to 23. John 17, verse 20 to 23. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message 
that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus prays just hours from the cross that we would be one. His desire was that we would experience the unity that he experiences with the Father and the Father experiences with him. His desire is for us to be one with each other. And if we can do that, if we can find that unity, it serves an important purpose. And the purpose is to declare the gospel to the world. To tell the world that this is God's love. And I think the conclusion is inescapable that what Jesus prays for, that what Jesus wishes for, what he desires, he commands us. There's no footnote here that says this would be nice if you could do it. But it is his will, his command. He expects us to do our part to make sure that the church is united. Jesus' concern is that every Christian is an insider and not an outsider. And again, that was his dying wish. This is his last prayer for, for his disciples. The last thing before the cross. His wish was, is fulfilled when we worship together. When we share meals together. When we care for each other and tend to each other's needs. And it is a delight to know that and to experience that. But our experience should also tell us that such unity will not just happen. That it is something we have to focus on. It's something that we have to work at. And that brings us to the last portion of Scripture that I want us to notice. Paul instructed the Philippians in ways that they could work for unity, love, and fellowship. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. And notice verse 1, Paul writes, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, he's asking them to consider what being a Christian means to them. If being a Christian means something to them, if it's given them encouragement, if being the object of Christ's love gives them comfort, if they've known the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, if there's been an experience of tenderness and compassion, again, if you've been found a blessing in being a Christian, then in order to make Paul's joy complete, to make Christ's joy complete, to make God's joy complete, here's what we need to do. Here's what we need to be about. He says in verse 2, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Now to be like-minded doesn't mean that we have to agree down to every T and, and I. To be like-minded doesn't mean that we always do everything exactly the same way. But it does mean that our thoughts and our wills and our commitments as Christians and the church are moving in the same direction. That what's important to us as a congregation, that, that we are all behind it, 
It means to have the same commitments and the same priorities and to have the same love for each other. It is to reciprocate in love, to express love for one another, to be one in spirit that will rule our fellowship, and to have one purpose. For the Philippians and for us to achieve that oneness, such unity, fellowship, and love, Paul says we have to give up our own agenda, our own self-seeking, our own refusal to do anything except the way we want it done. We must always be willing to give way to others. And that's what Paul says here in verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Unity is a call to mutual concern, to involvement in each other's lives, to sharing joys and burdens alike. It's not saying that we become gossips and busybodies, but that we learn to put each other first that we learn to put the spiritual needs of each other first, and that we learn to serve each other. And so Paul concludes this section by saying, each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. The final key to unity is this. Look at verse 5 through 8. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to glory of God the Father. In our life together, in our life as a congregation, we need to have the attitude, we need to have the mindset, we need to have the thinking of Christ. And the point of that thinking or that attitude is that he had everything. He had every privilege. He had every prerogative. He had every right. He shared in God's glory. He shared in direct fellowship with God. He possessed every attribute that God possesses. But Paul says, even though he had all of those things, he didn't consider that, that he had to cling to them, that he had to hold fast to them, but rather he gave them up. He poured himself out. He emptied himself, is what Paul's word means. He surrendered it all. And in doing that, he took on human form. He became a servant. He didn't become a CEO of the world. He didn't become a leading general. He became a servant. He became a slave. And in humility, he obeyed God all the way to the cross. So I think the challenge of Psalm 133 and this other teaching that we've looked at tonight about unity is that if we can learn to surrender our rights, if we can learn to take the form of servants, if we can give obedience to the way of the cross, our experiences of fellowship and love and unity will not be exceptional, but they will be the rule. And our unity will grow deeper and it will grow richer. And in the process, God will be glorified. 
As we think about these things and what we can do personally to help our congregation grow even closer together in unity, rather than our usual invitation tonight, I'd like to invite us to stand and sing number 76, Blessed Be the Tithe.